Hi everyone, this is Sudeshna from the Abundant Psyche and you are listening to the Not So Corporate Podcast. Here we talk about all of those not so corporate things that we corporate entrepreneurs do to be more successful than our corporate peers. And today I have a really, really special guest for you, one of my very good friends, Dr. Aisha. Dr. Aisha is a physician, a change specialist, a master subconscious rewiring expert and a neuroscientist on an expedition to change the world one soul at a time. Aisha and me have known each other for quite a while. I have just been impressed by the work that she's doing. I can't wait to chat with Dr. Aisha because she brings disciplines like medicine, neuroscience, spirituality together. So take it for what it is be coachable throughout. This will be an amazing session. I'm so, so excited to chat with you, Aisha. It's been long due. Definitely. Thank you for your patience while yeah. I dealt with all the floods and the mudslides and the power outages. This is, this is life. This is real yeah. life. And like you can see, uh, sometimes my screen is starting to have an earthquake because of the camera, but you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go on with it just because this is real life. Exactly. And Aisha, I already did do a bit of your introduction, mm -hmm. a one-liner, but if you tell us a bit more about how you came to where you are, how did you come to the path that you are currently on? I'm a physician turned change specialist. And I like to say I'm a clinical specialist by day and I operate as a, and I moonlight as a change specialist at night. And I work with high performers, entrepreneurs, healthcare workers, consultants, creative entrepreneurs, like people who are really, really ambitious and have a big vision for themselves. And they're operating from survivor patterns because a path was outlined for them. And that's all that they're sticking to now. And they've lost that passion and drive for what they're doing. And I help them reignite that passion and help people realize we're not supposed to be one we don't have one purpose in this life like your purpose is dynamic it flows so I can be a physician I can also coach people I can also like finances I can also like to play music my entire identity isn't tied down to one piece we're fluid creatures and the fact that we get stuck in these ruts of I'm just an accountant I'm a lawyer I'm this or I'm that. It takes away from who you are. So if somebody asks me, who are you? Like, I'm Aisha. What more do you want to know? Let's take it from there. My identity isn't tied to I'm a physician or I'm a chain specialist. It's me. Today, I'm a chain specialist. I don't know, 10 years down the road, this might metamorphose into something else. And I embrace that today. 10 years ago, I'd be terrified of that. Love that. Tell us a bit more about the clinical physician Path and how you got there and then how you changed to becoming the change specialist. Where I come from, um, in our culture, it's you're either a doctor or you're an engineer. And when all of that fails, you're an accountant. So my path was already outlined for me. Like from the day I was born, I think my parents had already decided she's going to be a doctor. So I was like, okay, that there wasn't much room to negotiate there. So there I went down my journey on that rabbit hole of becoming a physician. And in hindsight, I can say I've learned a lot. I'm good at what I do, but it 
wasn't a path that was in alignment to who I was. And I never got a chance to explore what else I could be. Like there are all these different avenues you can explore and not just within the corporate realm or on a conveyor belt. Outside of this, there's so much more to explore, but I, I was never given that opportunity until I graduated and started building my own life. So I graduated as a physician. I practiced for a while, but I was always finding like so much, like there was so many gaps between what I'd learned in school, what we were applying. And I always found it like there was a plate, but there were holes in it. And I couldn't connect the dots from everything that I'd learned, for example, in medical school. And for me, that was a big disillusionment because I expected to learn everything we needed to know to operate in our phys physician space in medical school. And like, they don't teach you about like very basics about your nutrition, your biochemistry, your energetics, um, operating on different phases of your cycle. Like we're women, we're not very masculine all the time and marrying that masculine and uh, feminine energy. Like all of these pieces were missing and it didn't make sense. So then the journey started and I was my first client. And this is the best way to put it. Like somebody asked me this a long time ago and I always went back like, who was my first client? And I would go through my files. But the reality of the matter is I was my very first client. Like I needed to find those answers for myself. And I took that journey inward, disconnected from, like there were a couple of months I was gone off the grid completely. My parents didn't know where I were, where I was. My friends didn't know where I was. And everybody was very, like my closest friend was really upset because I just sort of fell off the face of the planet. But those few months of disconnecting from technology and all this information constantly being thrown at me really gave me a chance to sit inward. And for the longer, for a while, I didn't really hear anything except the monkey chatter and everything that I had absorbed from the outside space. And what I learned was nature abhors vacuum because when we're growing up, you're like this empty garden soil that has nothing on it. And then seeds get start, start getting planted from like your parents, your school teachers, your friends, your environment, blah, 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 blah. And then things start growing in that space. And in the beginning, you have very little choice in the matter because you're completely empty. But as time moves forward, you're like, and you start looking backwards at it, you're like, okay, I, I don't want this, but I also don't know how to like rip it out and put something new in its place. And while I would sit in silence, I would just see the garden with plantations of what everyone else had put in. And because that space was empty, of course it got like the weed started growing. That is like what I call social media or like, you know, whatever was happening on TV and in that media space or what was happening in my environment at the time. But so little of that was just me. And in the beginning, all I heard was a lot of monkey chatter and the to-do list that I had to do. And, you know, like we, I did operate from a lot of my own masculine energy of like things that had to get done, things that had to get done. And all the time I would sit in silence was just like, lists and lists and lists and lists until it quieted down and then this new voice that came to the service was so quiet and it scared the hell out of me because I had never given it room to grow to actually ask it questions and why I liked the things that I liked and once I started asking those questions it was like okay 
Now, this is interesting. I had never thought of it like that before. And because I spent so much of this time deconditioning myself and jumping off of that conveyor belt, finding my own path. And then when I would like further down the road, when I would go and study things like the human design, this came way, way later, um, start studying manifestation, alignment, energetics. It was just a confirmation of like, okay, so this work was go taking me in the right direction. But of course, there was so much self-doubt and there was so much of this imposter syndrome and everything that was in that garden of like, what are my parents going to say? What are people around me going to say? What is this going to like reflect on me as a person? Like, am I even going to have any friends going forward? And it was a very strange feeling asking myself these questions and being very at peace with, no, it's okay. I mean, I'm working so hard on outgrowing myself. Why do I care if I outgrow everyone around me like the world has nine billion people on the face of this planet and some of them would be oscillating at a similar frequency to me and i will find them i think for oh, all my listeners from the subcontinent they are definitely finding a <laughs> a chord in what you just said about <laughs> there are only two parts doctor engineer and if you are very very out there, maybe an accountant or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely hear you. To come back to the physician and the medical school piece, Aisha, having gone through medical school, do you feel like there's a reason why we probably look at health and nutrition or whatever is taught in medical school? Is there a particular reason why they teach it like that and not from a more holistic perspective? I that's what I was hearing that that was missing. I think like Western medicine was shaped hundreds of years ago a certain way. And I, my understanding of its history is over time, it might have started holistic, but then human nature is to be very territorial about what's theirs. And then, you know, things segregated into like the, you know, the Western medicine and then these um allied modalities that separated from the Western medicine and we started operating in silos and it doesn't work because Western medicine cannot stand all by itself, but then neither can these allied modalities and neither can, uh, are you there? Are you there? I never get this word right. Are you Ayurveda? Ayurveda cannot stand its own, but it, we all need to operate together. There's a lot of interdependency and it's an interdisciplinary practice that needs to work together to get us the best result for our patients and our clients. But things over time became very isolated silos. And because they started becoming these isolated silos, they started developing holes because there were parts that could only be filled, say for example, by acupuncture. But we don't learn about acupuncture in school. That's never taught in med school in any capacity. We don't even touch base on it. Nutrition isn't taught in a lot of detail. Understanding your hormone profile is never taught in a lot of detail. And it should be because it's such an integral and a basic foundational part of who we are as human beings. If your biochemistry is off, even by one neurotransmitter, all of the coaching, the mentoring, the affirmations, the work on energetics, it's just not going to stick. It's like them throwing noodles at a wall and hoping something, hopefully something will stick. Mm. And that doesn't work. Like you have to get your foundational pieces right. And that didn't make sense to me. Like, why weren't we studying this in a lot more detail? We should be. 
So I went and I started filling up my, bridging my gaps really, really slowly. And I think I'm always going to be learning because there's so much more out there for myself, for my clients. I have always had to think about this. And sometimes I thought, so I come from a family of very reputed Ayurveda practitioners, actually. Mm-hmm. We kind of went away from that path. But what I have found is that there's a lot of ancient wisdom in all of that. Like I still use the recipes which were used by my great, great, great grandparents. Mm-hmm. And find them incredibly useful actually but equally i think from the western science perspective first thing is that it's easier to learn in digestible chunks um, and also it's easier to analyze when you have set a limit and a boundary i think that's perhaps one of the reasons but i think very unknowingly we have set ourselves up to this expectation of okay Therefore, this is what is science. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, because we can't go in with our microscopes and test tubes, this is not science. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps there's something around it. And maybe actually the true doctor, the true physician is like you very much studying the rest of it. Because, you know, my family doctor, we have family physicians I, I don't know if this is a concept in the US, but in the UK, I'm, I'm not really sure this is very prevalent, but back home in India, we have like, you know, the doctor will know the history of the family and all of it before, mm-hmm. you know, you are prescribed a medicine and th- there will be strange cases where the everything will go against the grain, but just because they know you at such a fundamental level, you, your family, your history of not only medical history, but also emotional and mm-hmm. whatever else, that that medicine just works wonders and very, very differently to what the textbooks perhaps would say. And I find that fascinating because I think that that's the sort of stuff that you are alluding to as well. So do you bring back all of these bits of your learning into your physician life as well. Oh yeah, I absolutely do. And like there's, and don't get me wrong. I have, I have, I call myself out on this because I have been the person that has criticized like, you know, the the ancient wisdom, um, these older practices that you would see in our culture from our grandfather, like our forefathers and stuff, because it did, again, it's like you said, it didn't fit in the box of science. And they didn't teach that in med school. And, you know, when you're younger, you're a little bit foolish and you don't have your edge of thought is so limited and you don't think outside of that. And you just want to I wanted to fit in with the crowd, too, amongst my colleagues and my peers and all of these ancient or spiritual practices and things were frowned upon and I wanted to fit in. So I've done this part where I've like criticized it, but I think that space that I created of have created over time and approaching things with this my six-year-old's curiosity of like why is it like this like why did it work and then it started getting ridiculed like where did the chain break mm. and I realized like you can actually analyze things through the lens of science we just have to broaden our horizons I just need to look beyond what that microscope is showing me mm. you know just because it cannot immediately be translated into a science textbook doesn't mean it's wrong, you know? And then how can we apply that 
through the lens of science to our clients. And it, it actually works. It's, it's crazy. I mean, years and years ago, people, people just weren't like waking up and breathing air and just surviving. And like they came up with these practices and they just thought, oh, yeah, we're just going to throw noodles against the wall again, going back to that. I mean, there was a lot of analysis and study and research done before they actually started putting it out to people and other patients were using it and they were living and surviving and thriving. I mean, why do we think we suddenly know more than they did? We can always expand on it, but there's no, there's no need to null it out completely. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that because I very much like you used to be that person who was like, you know, why are we doing all of this? No mm-hmm. one told us that this is going to benefit us, etc. But I think there's there's good judgment in that just by being very thoughtful about not not having blind faith, mm-hmm. if, I, if yeah. I may say that, and taking everything with, uh, but why is it happening mm-hmm. like this? Starting from curiosity, like you said, in a place of seeking and not being closed off but the challenge of course becomes when you take the textbook to be the gospel and this this is what i say across all disciplines right um it's not only medicine it's not only science it's not only technology it's not only liberal arts everywhere the newest things are being discovered and are happening in day to day practice mm-hmm. it'll take 10 years to get the textbooks there so if you are going by the textbooks you are operating from like i don't know things that used to perhaps work or discovered 10 years back but you are not keeping up with the newest scientific research and the only way to do that is probably geeking out on science journals or whatever Mm -hmm. and also listening to people like you i think people have a lot of dogma around what is science and what can be called science. So tell us a bit more about the change specialist work that you do and how you bring around neuroscience and energetics and all of the woo into it as well. Okay. I like to, I'm a, I'm a data geek. I love having information that I can peruse. And I love looking at people from this holistic lens of who they are as a person, what is their environment like? Like, why did certain things unfold the way they did in their life? Like, the, the, the understanding of their epigenetics, their gene keys, the neuroscience behind understanding, like, why do they make decisions the way that they do? Understanding their psychology, the shadow work that they've done, like, how much does ego play into that? What is their biochemistry in while they're operating the way that they are operating? where are their biochemical numbers, right? And just because, and this part I really, really hate with our medical field is the broad range of what is considered normal. Mm. Like it's so broad, it, you're just functioning within that. There's so much gray in that area, like one person's functional is another person's abnormal or sickness. And, but because you fall within that range, you're fine. You're normal and i'm like no i'm functional what i want to get to and what i want people that i'm working with to get to is optimal and then start looking for ways to break through whatever glass ceiling now exists on optimal and how we can surpass that but if we're constantly just getting our people to a place of functional that's not okay 
And that's where, and there's nothing wrong with working in the corporate setting or going on, uh, living your life from a conveyor belt setting of like, I was born, I went to school, I went to university, I got a job, I started climbing the corporate ladder. All those things are great. But when you do them from sort of, I'm running on autopilot, it's it's a very different feeling than when you're connected to who you are and you're making decisions from intention. And you're very present in your day-to-day. It's, your life isn't happening to you. Life is not in the driver's seat. You are. So I like looking at all of this. And I, I always tell everyone that I work with to go get me numbers. Get me this blood work done. I want to see those numbers. And then they always come back more often than not. Very few people that I work with have had to take like a lot. We've had to take this very diverse route to get them to at least within the bracket of what is normal and then start fine tuning to find what numbers are normal for them. But more often than not, you'll get the blood work back. And it's a a very extensive sheet of paper that tells me everything I want down to their very nitty gritty micronutrient level and they're normal. But is that normal really normal for you? Mm. Because if it was so much of what you're, and then, okay, of course, you're taking your biochemistry, then I'm looking at your personality and we're looking at your gene keys. We're looking at your epigenetics, your nature versus nurture environment pieces. We're looking at the neuroscience. We're looking at positive psychology. I'm looking at energetics and all of those pieces together are going to make you you. So if everything is normal, then you should already be climbing um, Maslow's uh, hierarchy needs law right? Like that pyramid, you should be climbing up on it. You shouldn't be stuck anywhere. And why do we get stuck? Is this intergenerational, and that's that's the piece that I learned, and this came from personal practice as well, was the intergenerational trauma that we incurred over generations. I am not just me. I'm a culmination of seven generations that came before me. And then there are bits and pieces of, and it's every time you think you've healed, You never fully heal completely. It's like a journey. I think it's going to be happening to me till the end of my life. Where it's like, every time I go to the next level, it's like, oh my God, another one? I thought I was done with all of this work. Like I thought I was healed. And then you find this new level of trauma that is within you. And you can't, I can't pinpoint the finger for at least myself. Like, but I, I don't remember experiencing this in the, three decades that I've been here on this planet. So like, where is it coming from? And then that next rabbit hole of the trauma work, because it's not just you, it's intergenerational trauma that carries itself and expresses itself in in your genetics over time. Like each decade of your life is going to, and it's not just each decade, like every year of your life is going to unfold a new layer of trauma, depending on, I don't know what was happening to my great, 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 great grandmother or grandfather when they were in their Mm thirties. And now here it's expressing itself. And I'm like, why, why are you, why are you presenting yourself here? Like, what did I do to deserve this? And then comes the healthy curiosity and all the work we do to like, okay, let's unpack it. Let's process it because I don't want it. If I've woken up to this, if I'm aware this is not okay. I don't want this burden to not fall in the next seven generations that are going to come after me. It has to break with me. Otherwise, what's the point of all the work that we're doing? What's the point of having this heightened awareness if we're not going to break the chains of the trauma that are holding us in our conditioned states? 
and then finding where I can where I can thrive from it and creating enough discomfort around it so that it the hard thing doesn't feel hard anymore. It's not easy for sure, but you can flow through it with ease. It's not linear, but I can navigate the twists and the turns and the ups and downs that are coming. Awesome. So tell uh, tell me a bit more about the trauma piece and how do you how do you even get to realize that this is what's holding me back as opposed to you know I don't know why I can't get this right I just need some more strategy some more throwing money at the problem whatever it is right so how do you know that this is trauma that you need to address within yourself so um I always start with very one plus one is two. Start at face value, exactly where I'm at. And I'll start peeling the layer of onion, one layer at a time, asking questions of me of, okay, but I have all the theoretical pieces that I need to implement. Am I implementing them correctly? Okay, but I'm trying to implement it. It's like, I have the, the imagine you have the scotch tape and you have the surface, but it just won't stick. And there's no logical reason why it shouldn't stick, right? Like the surface is dry, the scotch tip is sticky. So what reason do you have? Like, what is the gap in between that is stopping them from sticking, right? Okay, so I have my pieces. It's not sticking. Why is it not sticking? And that's when you start peeling it further back inward. Like, is there something in my environment that's affecting me? Am I off biochemically? Because like I'm neurodivergent, right? And I know my dopamine levels are a little bit lower than the general population. So I need to work really hard to regulate myself to stay in a heightened state. So is something off with me biochemically? Something off. Or has a new stressor presented itself in my life that I'm not currently addressing? And this is my subconscious way of like going, nope, you're not going to do this right now. This is something, there's something else we need to focus on. So if I'm peeling it, well, backwards backwards with and I have I call this my seven layers of why and if your seven layers of why don't make you cry you're, you're not doing it right mm. and the more I peel back it eventually it gets me to a point of like okay this is literally nothing and if the answers to everything that I'm checking off is no nope this is fine this is also fine this is also fine then it's not internally within me it's an expression of a gene that probably came from my forefathers and then I dig and I dig and I might, I will never probably understand in which way it manifested. Like what were the circumstances that brought them to this? What was the experience they had or how they felt it? But I can only know how it feels in my, in my being right now. So how am I going to process it and how am I going to release it is individual to me. Because mm. as soon as I release it, I've broken that chain between me and them. And the next generation doesn't have to carry that burden forward. You know? yeah. And if I can thrive from, I've processed it and I've broken that chain. And yeah, I've gone through the crying and the tears and I, I will journal over it. I will create an experience around it and I will replace that memory with something better and give it time to imprint on my hippocampus. So it becomes a long-term memory. And once it's done that, it no longer has power over me. So now it's healed within me. And the way I like to believe in it is, and again, it's, this is not a linear practice. It just sounds very fluffy when you talk about it, 
But once you've gone through the twists and turns and the ups and downs, you realize, okay, you haven't just healed yourself in this particular aspect. And we're talking this one very specific trauma piece, not holistic. You can't heal trauma collectively. It's one piece at a time. You haven't just healed yourself. You've healed it backwards and it's not going to impact your generations forward. And I never realized how big that responsibility was on my shoulders now that I was awake and I was connected. And it wasn't just all going to be like, oh, I'm coaching and I'm like doing this thing and it's all manifesting this kind of life or I'm in alignment. Like the work internally sometimes like really rips you wide open. Mm. And it's incredible. It's very rewarding. But like when you're right in the middle of that storm, and, you know, we've heard this story, this theory from James Wedmore. So I was like, you're in the eye of the storm. And then you see like these cows and all of these uh, cars and things in the eye of the twister. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm so freaking scared. And having that belief that I'm going to come out of it. And that's the next part where it's like, how do I regulate my nervous system to get me through to the other side? And this varies from person to person. Because, yeah, there are like a hundred different processes in place to regulate your nervous system. But again, one shoe doesn't fit all. And the more tools you know, the more you have capacity to modulate based on each individual. It's like what worked for me might not necessarily work for you based on your personality, what what your environment is like, who you are as a person, how you process things for yourself. It has to be custom tailored for each. That's yeah. I haven't heard about the generational piece very often spoken about in the medical field, but I definitely know from a spiritual uh, journey perspective, there's this piece that people talk about around, uh, you know, past lives and you carry forward trauma from past that you don't know, like you just don't know where, where that originated. I haven't really gone down the rabbit hole there that much, but I can definitely say that I definitely, definitely did have a lot of trauma from my early childhood. Sometimes what I have realized is like people go like, no, but I was right and I, I, they were wrong. I was right. And, you know, they come from a place of righteousness versus mm -hmm. peace. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just easier to forgive. Mm -hmm. And in that process, you forgive yourself and you forgive whatever the perpetrators of whatever mm -hmm. you think was wrong that happened to you. And I have found my biggest leaps and growths happen when I've just allowed things to pass through. Like, you know what? That was me. That happened. They were there. You know, they probably wouldn't have done these things had they known that these would have caused me XYZ in my life and so much pain. When you can actually go ahead and say, you know what, I, I do, you don't have power over me anymore. And that's, that's power in itself. And I think people don't realize the power of gratitude, forgiveness. And it, it seems a lot, oh my God, there's this girl again who'll start talking about evening routines and morning routines mm -hmm. and journaling and all of that but actually when you think about it like uh, working through your own stuff helps you more than it helps anyone exactly. else if you haven't walked the talk you can't teach the talk because mm. yeah. it's like really easy like reading books is not hard taking online courses going to school learning the theory of things is not hard 
but actually implementing and going down in the trenches and digging out from things from the roots and figuring out what works, what doesn't work, what needs to change and what is right for me and what isn't. That's what's really, really difficult. And if you haven't done the work for yourself and if you're not constantly working on yourself, because we, we have people and I think I've been in a place too, like I think we're all guilty of it where things get comfortable, mm. we get lazy, we get complacent. And it's like, oh, you know, like I'm making decent money. My career is on point. Some things are off, like, you know, because the universe keeps coming and going like, okay, you know, we've been in this level for a while, time to move up. Like, why are you still here? And you're like, no, 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 I'm lazy and complacent and we stop. And then that affects the people that we're working with. Because if you're not constantly working on yourself and getting better, not get like increasing your own frequency, keeping it very, very simple in layman terms, how long are you going to be able to teach in alignment? Because if you're not climbing the ladder for yourself holistically, whether that's you're using Maslow's pyramid of needs or whatever other self-actualization pyramid you have for yourself, how long are you going to be able to teach from alignment? And it, it, as mentors, we have a bigger responsibility. It's like I, I, I'm a big believer of those 10,000 hours of practice. Like, don't think it's okay to, like, I, I think this is my gratitude piece of going to medical school and practicing is there's a reason you don't become a doctor overnight. Mm. There's a reason because you have people's life in your hands. You make one mistake, somebody dies. Mm. And I remember, I don't know, I don't exactly remember where I've heard this before, but somebody said this to me. It was like, well, I think I just come out of surgery and uh, the, the outcome was, was bad. And we were all very upset. And somebody made a joke about it. Somebody said, you know, like when an accountant makes a mistake or when an engineer makes a mistake, like in a theoretical practice of things, no one dies, but we make wrong, one wrong cut and that's it. We've taken somebody's life and it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away with more practice. It doesn't go away the more people you treat because within trauma surgery, it's like you're, this is literally your day-to-day. -day. You cut, suit your clothes, you cut, suit your clothes. And the minute you get complacent, somebody dies. Mm. and that that's and taking that and moving forward within my own life as a change specialist mentoring people through their change whatever that may be whether they're aware of where change needs to happen or they're just getting that knock from the universe going like ah something's not okay you know you did this for a while it was really good but it's not time to move on whether it's up the ladder or in a lateral direction whatever that is I have to actually lead from my own practice I have to walk the talk first. And if I'm not doing work constantly, am I teaching them correctly? Like, I, again, this is like my own self-doubt that comes into play. Like the day I don't read or the day I don't do one thing that's, that's made me uncomfortable. I'm just thinking like, no, no, you can't. You have a responsibility. This energetically will affect your the people in your circle. Don't take that lightly. Like people put trust you with their lives when they come within your circle. And then when they start learning from you or they're being mentored by you. And it, to me, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And I don't want to take that lightly because again, I, I'm afraid of the universe coming in to even out the score. If I've taken that responsibility lightly, the universe is going to come in. I don't want that. I don't want the universe going to balance out the scale. 
Right. If I may take a short tangent on that, for quite a lot of our listeners here, they are very much into technology and sciences and all of that world that I come from. Mm -hmm. And yes, while an accountant making a mistake is probably not going to cost someone's life, can I just call out to all of my technology friends that actually remember your technology is affecting the world these days mm-hmm. and Literally. your a random excel model that you build for some people whether they get selected for grad school or not can actually change their lives and if you have okay. if you are not working through your own biases that responsibility is on you and it yeah. might not sound like life or death as like in the surgery room but sometimes it is really life or death for someone who studied for hours and hours and hours but they probably didn't get through just because you know the model behaved in a strange way that no one can explain this is why i mean i i call for debiasing technology and also being socially responsible while Please, yes. developing all of these because because right now our technology is far more effective in controlling our lives not only influencing it's controlling our lives so Good yeah time. random tangent but like aisha says probably worth having this mindset constantly in your brain it's not only technology that you need to learn about it's all of the peripherals that ultimately affect your job I fully um, agree. Like I I don't honestly think that anyone should take it any less than life in that because it's exactly what you said. An excel like a, I'm I'm not a I'm tech novice, right? Like I'm a tech noob. I call myself that. I'm very open to learning, but I'm still way behind somebody else who's so technologically advanced like yourself. But just imagine and this is a part where energetics come into play like you can literally change the course of somebody's life mm. with technology that is life and death like that person could have been x but you took that away from them and god forbid they take their own life or god forbid they become the worst kind of human being on the face of this planet that's on you partly cuz you know you you were the creator of that technology piece in the back end whether that your bias played a role or whatever else and that's why like i took that piece of surgery the life and death piece and it became an integral part of who i was as a person because it's not just mentoring people through their change it's like they're trusting you with their life to not take that responsibility lightly and how we mentor people through their change or how people build certain pieces of technology it has an impact like just look at social media platforms instagram linkedin is it's dictating who what we see based on what we click on and then it shows you more of that somebody created that algorithm in the back and that came from another human being mm. and some people are not happy about it because it's taking away free thought free will you know conscious expansion thing, looking at things more curiously because we're constantly bombarded with the same kind of stuff that we look at but like nobody is changing it yeah but again this is a huge responsibility yeah it is a huge responsibility sometimes this responsibility like i have my thoughts on social media i personally don't think we can pick just because of the way the technology works i don't think you can 
live outside the bubble unless you as a consumer very intentionally choose to live outside the bubble this is the challenge that we have with social media are some social media companies evil yes i think so but can they do much to change their algorithms i actually very much doubt that because um yeah it it's it's the nature of this technology this like it's it's a power that's just gotten out of the box and we don't know how to take it back but i guess on that same note therefore i would say listeners of this podcast be conscious about what you are putting into your mind do your due diligence about things that you believe in or you don't even this podcast do your due diligence right like you'll find opinions people talking about this stuff on both the sides and you have to be the judge about what's right for you and i would never suggest that whatever i say is gospel right because i have my blind spots as well as does aisha as does anyone in the world so yeah that was a random tangent if we get <laughs> long random tangent sorry if we if we get back to where we were aisha so so yeah. tell us a bit more about uh, what you find different between people you work with who are operating from a survival pattern versus someone who's really thriving and being in that high energy what i've learned is that people who are operating from survival patterns they're very good at running on autopilot and you need your survival patterns like human beings were built to survive we weren't exactly constructed with thriving being in mind if you just look at it from like a very narrow scientific lens like your body is supposed to keep you functional it's not looking for ways to get you lean for example by itself like those are practices you need to put into place if you want to be lean if you want to be able to do a pull up if you want to lift a certain amount of weight or do a crazy calisthenic move um but your body is going to find ways to keep you warm it will always find ways to keep you breathing and it'll keep you functional so like what i've found is we need to solidify and customize your survival patterns to you and once you've made peace with the foundation and put down seeds in the ground allow the roots to start forming then the tree can come to the surface because a lot of the people that are operating from survival patterns there's a piece of fear there that things are going to be taken away there's a fear of loss in some capacity that's keeping them in a survival place so how can we solidify your survival for you to know as a human being that you're safe and you're okay and then you start climbing up like you erupt from the ground like i always use this example with clients and sometimes people think it's funny and others like start showing me their plants which is hilarious and i was like yes your na- nature is constantly teaching us lessons and one of the key pieces that i found really useful and i will always go back to it is when you plant a seed into the ground you nurture it you water it you give it ample sunlight you give it the fertilizer and the nutrients that it needs so it can start growing its roots and then it it can grow the plant it needs to but in the time that you've planted the seed into the ground you're giving it water that's all your safety survival pieces right to make sure the plant the, the seed doesn't die into the ground and nothing comes from it you stay quiet cuz a lot of times you make this and this is the energetic pieces 
if you haven't solidified your root into the ground, the wind can blow you in either which direction. Mm. And your roots should be so deep that you may, your branches may move with the wind, but it can never uproot you because you've planted this very, very intentionally for you. You're very safe. The wind isn't going to come and rip you out. So we look for ways to deepen your roots into the ground. And once that survival pattern is now solidified, yeah, you're going you're gonna to look for ways that are, you're going to thrive. And you meet people that are in the corporate setting that are now becoming musicians and guitarists and creative writers. And I had one person who wanted to open up a printing press. I honestly don't understand what the, the energetic is for him behind that printing press, but it makes them so happy, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, he consults for um, their conglomerate. He does both. And he does them both really well now. But now that his passion is also being met, yeah, he goes through this ups and downs. And like I said, the wind will always move your branches either which way. But now they're looking, they're looking at things from a solution lens. You know, they're looking for like, oh, this is making me uncomfortable. What am I learning from it? And we've they've engraved upon themselves the seven whys. Mm. And now they can peel on the, because the goal is not to create codependency with our clients. I'm not trying to create customers here. I don't want you to stay with me for the rest of your life. I would like to see you progress through the rest of your life. Mm. But like work, do the work, integrate it, and then you're self-sufficient. And once you know how to like, you know, plug and play tools that are right for you, you don't need to come back and work with me. Like we may, we may need to hop on a call from time to time, like once every four or five months, because that happens to me quite a lot, although I started working them four or five years ago, but they don't really need to stick around with me mm. to like hold their hands. And I've, I, I know there are a lot of coaches and mentors out there that are going to frown at this piece where they're like, no, but you should never hold your client's hand because that's creating codependency. But as a mentor, you know that there are times that they're going to need you to hold their hands, walk them to the door. What you cannot do is walk through the door for them. You cannot do their push up for them. But sometimes when they have, you don't know what you don't know. And when you're stepping out of the edge of your own thought, of your own conscious, and you're stepping into the realm of the unknown that is now taking you towards your subconscious and your unconscious patterns, you need a little bit of guidance. You need to know you're going to be okay. You're not going to fall off the face of the earth and disappear into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's where you hold their hands. But once they know that they can walk that space freely and safely, my work is done. Brilliant. That, that, that's for me. That the, And I, every time I've have had this question, this question is never going to get off my applications for anyone who's listening to this. I always ask, do you, are you aware of your surviving patterns? Do you know what helps you thrive? I always, I have Excel and Excel of 10 years telling me the same thing on repeat. I don't understand this question. What are, what are you trying to get at with this? And it just tells you like, we're so disconnected. Over time, we've gotten so disconnected because the world's getting louder and louder by the minute. And even for myself, I have to make the effort during the weekends to not look at social media, you know, and to not read content. And like when I'm putting stuff together, like when I'm working with clients, if I have a meeting with them at five, I'll be up at four. And this is AM timings because, you know, global clientele, you have to manage time zones and all of that jazz. Mm -hmm. I'll be up at 4 a.m. I'll go into practice. Like I'll sage my space and I will put in my homework and cleanse my own energy 
before I sit with them because I don't want mine to influence them. Mm. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. So any tips that you can give to any of the listeners for how do they bring in their present awareness and then connect it to their reality and also then break the survival patterns to go into the thriving patterns? Well, I always start with ask yourself questions. It's the easiest way to do it. Like you don't have to sit down. You can still be doing whatever it is you're doing and let your mind do the work because our minds are incredible spaces and it's already asking you the question like, but this time you're listening in as well. And once you start asking yourself those questions and just even through the gibberish, if you're patient enough to allow the gibberish to calm down, the monkey chatter, I think that's the most common phrase. Once you allow the monkey chatter to calm down, some weird answers are going to start coming to the surface. And once you have those answers, like start keeping a, a log of them, like document them somewhere. And documentation looks differently for everybody. Some people like journaling. I have people that like doing it via voice notes. I have people who like recording a video of themselves. I have people that will go talk about it to somebody and have that person text it back to them. Again, different things work for different people. Find what's yours and allow those questions to come. Be patient. Be patient. Allow yourself grace because your conscience awakening doesn't happen overnight. Mm. It had, had we been younger, and this is where like people that are under 25, when your prefrontal cortex is still developing, it hasn't like completely molded and settled down. It's a lot easier, but once you're set in your ways, you've passed that 25 year window. Um, and this is science. This is within that box for anyone that is like very scientific. It takes a little while. Be patient. You've gotten used to doing things a certain way. Your conditioning has now also become part of your expressed genetic code. Mm. So the fact that you want to now repress and reawaken something new, it takes a little bit of time. It takes mm. grace. It takes patience. And if you want to collapse time, work with somebody. But otherwise, give yourself some grace to like, oh, this is coming to the surface and be patient with your monkey chatter because it will quiet down. And this voice that has been inside you all of this time, like if you were younger, eight, nine year old kids could tell you exactly what we're talking about. Your kid could tell you because, mm. you know, they're not there's no bias yet. There's no conditioning. There's they're still being molded, but they're so raw. And a lot of the times, like, and this used to freak me out when people would be like, oh, you know, when, when you get to your late 40s and early 50s, that's when you start figuring out these pieces. And I'm like, but we could do so much in the interim. So when you say these pieces, meaning? You're thriving pieces. It's uh, like, no, I have to like build a career. I have to get all the, the check marks that is expected of me. Like I have to get the house, I have to get the career. I have to get, I don't know, my pension sorted out, whatever, all these key pieces that society has put out there for people. And then we start figuring out who we are and then everything sort of collapses. It's like, but you can do so much more in the interim. Like your checklist could look something completely different by the mm. time you get to your fifties. If you do the work now and course correction, imagine from 50 backwards is so much harder than starting right now, wherever you are, it's never too late. I'm never going to say if you're in your fifties, I mean, I've worked with clients that are in like forties, fifties and sixties, sixties, and some of them have had incredible results depending on whatever their vision is. But you have to, as soon as that knock starts happening, 
give yourself that grace and start allow those questions to come to the surface, you know, and document them somewhere. And over time, like this is a great thing with our mind, right? Like it sees proof of you listening to it. Like your subconscious is like, oh, now I've got evidence. My person wants to do this work. It now creates, start putting that program in place and allow it to create that program for you. Because anything that doesn't have a program in your subconscious mind, you you can't plug and play it. It's like, this is the technology piece. I think Mm -hmm. if you don't have a program in your computer for, I don't know, your OneNote or your Zoom, Zoom will not come into play. You mm-hmm. have to download that in. It's similar to that. Like you have to allow your subconscious mind to create the program now for it. And that's where expression and repression of your gene and epigenetics and the shadow work in neuroscience comes mm-hmm. in. I couldn't agree more with the grace piece and also start today instead of like, you know, 20 years from now. Yeah. Because who knows if you are going to live for 20 more years. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's not morbid. This is mortality. It's this the reality is the, of the yeah, Exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I think people on my podcast know that I'm a bit of a, I, I love the death piece, not because it's morbid, but because it just tells you that your life is finite and mm-hmm. start acting now. And if you want to collapse time and work with someone and get all of those, you know, Society told me that I needed to have X, Y, and Z. Get those things done and Mm -hmm. then get to the change piece as well because that is when whatever society wanted of you, you get even more than that. You get to have more than that. And that's your choice. This has been been amazing, Aisha. Any last thoughts, words of wisdom for our listeners? Learn to enjoy your silent space. Your absolute silent space is where your warrior is going to come to the surface and tell you what you need to thrive. And within your silent space is where you're going to learn to really hear yourself and your warrior within you. And my most favorite one is do no harm, but take no shit. Love that. Will let you find your silent space. Thank you so much if you have listened to us for this long. We'll see you the next time. Thank you and have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thanks, Sue. Bye.